from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, once again this week, we go back in time to the middle of the 5th century BC. In space, we travel to Jerusalem, the capital of Judea. We arrive slightly before the times of Ezra and Nehemiah, evidently. The prophets Haggai and Zechariah are long gone. The modest temple is now 65 years old, and almost 90 years have passed since the Jews started coming back from Babylon. Now, it's not a very impressive place. In fact, it looks pretty God-forsaken to me. I can understand why the people complain as they do in verse 17, where is the God of justice? God's kingdom looks like weak sauce, to quote my kids. I say that because things were different on the other side of the Babylonian divide. Read the earlier story and you can quickly see what I mean. Back then, you would really have seen some things. You would have seen King David defeating his tens of thousands in the name of Yahweh. You would have seen Solomon's incredible riches, his magnificent kingdom and his awesome temple. If you were there at the dedication, you would have seen the kavod Yahweh, the glory of the Lord and the cloud filling up the temple. If you had been in Jerusalem during the reign of Hezekiah even, you would have seen 120,000 Assyrians dead at the gate slain by the angel of the Lord. Even in the leanest times, you might have met Elijah, who called down fire from heaven and who raised the dead, and who himself was taken up to heaven in a whirlwind. You would have seen Elisha, who fed a hundred men with twenty loaves of bread, and who one time blinded the entire Syrian army and led them into the city of Samaria like a bunch of lost sheep. And before that, you would have seen Gideon's 300 men defeat the entire Midianite army, and Samson, strengthened by the Spirit of God, having his way with the Philistines. You would have seen the walls of Jericho crumbling at the sound of the trumpet. And before that, the Red Sea parting for Israel, but swallowing the Egyptians. You would have tasted the manna from heaven, drank water from the rock, and seen the fiery pillar guiding the people through the wilderness. Back then, the angel of the Lord was everywhere. Back then, Yahweh answered the prophet's prayers in visible and dramatic ways. Yahweh always seemed to be lifting the veil that hid him. His reign could be seen and touched. But on this side of the exile, (laughs) Yahweh seems to have slipped beneath the surface like a ship sinking to the bottom of the ocean. The theocracy was gone. Persia ruled the world. If there were political problems in Judea, the Jews had to write letters to the Persian ruler. If the Jews needed supplies, they had to rely on the good graces of the Persians. The Jews had to practice their religion under Persian government. They had to obey Persian rules. They were beholden to the Persians. There's no king except the Persian king. No David leading his troops to victory at Yahweh's command. No mighty deeds that struck fear into the hearts of everyone who saw. The temple was a mere shadow of the former one. And no fiery cloud filled it. The walls of Jerusalem were still in a wreck. And only the hard, dangerous work 
of men would change that. And if you have been following along in our series in Malachi, you would know that the theme for the day was disillusionment. And along with it, lapses of faith and moral lapses that carried right on through Nehemiah's ministry. Marriage problems, divorce, lack of faithful giving, unconcern for the Sabbath, corrupt priests, and other social problems. And today, of course, the question of God's justice. Does God even see what's going on? God seems to delight in evil men. So what do you do in an age of disillusionment? Now notice what God says through the prophet Malachi. He points to a couple of things in their present reality, while at the same time he promises them a quite different future. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Notice that the temple and the covenant are the touchstones for this community, which pointed them to their future hope. The Lord would come suddenly to his temple. The messenger of the covenant was coming. Now think about it. (laughs) This modest temple. The oft-repeated word of the covenant. These parts of the present reality for this Jewish community were almost the only signs pointing to their future hope. The only things going that said Yahweh had not entirely forsaken them. Yahweh would again appear in the temple. The sacrifices, the festivals, the preaching were not ends in themselves. They were shadows and pointers to a greater day when Yahweh himself would come and set things right as he promised in his covenant. But notice that even this hope, Malachi tempers. (laughs) The day of Yahweh's appearance is not just a big victory parade for the winners, evidently. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand at his appearance? Those are scary words, scary questions. Malachi cloaks hope in the sobering truth that Yahweh will come, but as a purging fire and as a stinging bath. Yahweh will come suddenly to his temple, but who can endure? What endures the purge and who will emerge from it? You see, this part of the reading stops me cold. Because it occurs to me that Malachi was where the church is, where you and I are right now. I mean, think about it. We all know that the New Testament points to John the Baptist as the one who prepared the way for the Lord. And Jesus, we say, is the Lord who comes suddenly to his temple. And we know that Malachi's word was fulfilled when the word became flesh And dwelt among us. Once again, John says, we beheld God's glory in the face of Jesus. The kavod of Yahweh, the glory of the Lord, returned to his temple. And for a brief time, you see, the kingdom of God became visible again. People saw the miracles that Jesus did. They witnessed the resurrections from the dead. They saw the weakness of Jesus' enemies. They saw the hope that he gave to the suffering and the marginalized. They saw Jesus 
condemning the, quotes righteous and forgiving sinners. The covenant promise made so long ago again seemed to have moved towards fulfillment. Who do you say that I am, Jesus asked Peter. You are the Christ, the son of the living God, he said. (laughs) But people couldn't endure him, couldn't stand his appearing because his fiery, refining words finished them off, left them as nothing. He acted like their judge and jury. So so they killed him. But once again, as God had done for Israel in the past, God lifted the veil that hid him and raised Jesus from the dead. The one the people killed, God raised. And he has said that he is coming again to judge the living and the dead. And who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand at his appearing? You see, those are questions still for you to consider. So Malachi was where you are. Because once again, we seem to be living in an age of disillusionment where the kingdom of God has sunk below the surface. Evil seems to reign supreme. Good and evil are getting all mixed up. Why not become disillusioned? Where is the God of justice? Well, the prophet does speak to us. The covenant and the temple were the touchstones for old Israel's hope. Covenant and temple. What we call word and sacrament. Remember what Paul says. Paul says that as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you show forth the Lord's death until he comes. The word that we preach is the promise that Jesus, the messenger of the covenant, in whom all the promises of God are yes, is coming again. In this age of disillusionment, when the kingdom of God, God's reign, seems so hidden from our eyes, these are what we have that remind us that Yahweh has not completely abandoned or forsaken us. It is these signs through which we receive the Holy Spirit's comfort and assurance when everything around us tells us to give it up. The reality that we preach and the reality we remember in the sacraments will will achieve its definitive expression at the end of time. These are the pointers to our future hope. They remind us that God will show his face on that last day. The invisible will become visible. The dead will be raised. Yahweh will come suddenly to his temple. But who can endure the day of his coming? (laughs) There's that question again. Who can stand at his appearing? He comes like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. Well, that's something for all of you to think about. The only thing I can give you is God's verdict in your case ahead of that final judgment day. Empowered by Christ, you see, and according to his promise, I am bold to say, in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And we are bold to celebrate in the Lord's Supper, beyond the ancient sacrificial system, that we do not receive the blood of animals, but the very body and blood of Christ, given for you for the forgiveness of your sins. 
in an age of disillusionment, when God's kingdom is hidden from view, he has not left us totally without hope. It is this word alone to which we cling. Amen. Now may the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, which passes all our understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.